So we're going to see three things this morning. We're going to see feeding, rescuing, and healing. And I don't know about you guys. This is one of my favorite like stories about Jesus. I love to eat. Okay, feeding the five thousand. How many of you have heard the story before? Everyone, I know everyone. So this is why we say, "Come in with a fresh set of eyes." Okay. So let's begin at what we have here. Look at verse thirty. It says, "Then the apostles gathered to Jesus." And told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitudes saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And so what we have beginning in verse 30 here is that the, the apostles, they're called here, this is the 12 that Jesus has sent out. He sent them out in Mark chapter 6, verse 7 through 13. And he says, go out. Remember, he told them, don't take extra things. Don't take all the stuff that'll weigh you down. You take the one tunic you got, you take the staff, the sandals you have, and just go. Trust the Lord as you go forth preaching the gospel. You remember that last week, right? So they go out. They begin to serve the Lord. And what I love, remember, they went out thinking, is this really going to work? I don't know if you've ever been there. <laughs> but the Lord calls you to go somewhere to do something in His power, in His name, and you're like, this sounds kind of crazy. Plant a church in McKinney. That sounds pretty silly to me, honestly, as a California guy that had never been to McKinney. And then you look and you're like, man, that's pretty crazy. The Lord does what he calls you to do, and he'll see it through, through his power, not by ours. It's not by our strength. It's by his word. He honors his word above his name. We're told that through scripture. And see, Jesus told these guys, go out. I will delegate you my power. You take my message that people need to repent and believe in the gospel, as Mark 1.15 says. And see, what happens here, it says that they returned to him and they told him all the things, both what they had done, that speaks of the miraculous works that they did, and what they taught. <laughs> see, I love this because it means they didn't die. <laughs> they didn't go out and go, oh man, Jesus was playing with us. He just wanted to see us be made a bunch of fools. He didn't give us any power. They went out and they did miraculous things. These fishermen, these, these tax collectors, <laughs> a zealot. <laughs> These guys, James the Less, great name for that guy, right? These people go out and they're just doing these miraculous things in the name of the Lord. And they come back and they say, man, we did it. Jesus, this is real. Can I tell you, until you step out in the things that Jesus calls you to do, you're not going to have as strong of a faith until you step out. When you go, you know what, Lord, you've called me to it. I have prayed enough. It's time to get off my hands and go. I don't know who needs that word, but I'll tell you, we can look really holy in our hesitation to do the things of the Lord. I'm going, I need to read more. I need to study more. I need to pray more. Those are all good things. We understand that. But sometimes it's like, well, I'll just pray another year when the Lord says, I called you 25 years ago over here, right? Abram, right? The Lord said, get out of your country. Get away from your family. Get out of here. And who's he take with him? Lot, right? Who's he going to hang out with for stalls with, with, with Terah, right? He's staying and just spending so much time in Genesis 12. Finally, the Lord says, you've got to go. In this case, they went, and I love that it says they told them what they taught. The word here is didasko in the Greek. That means they gave instruction. 
This is so cool because we're reminded, what did Jesus come to do? He came to preach and teach first. Miracles came to authenticate his ministry. He didn't send out his, his apostles and say, okay, now just go do miracles and everyone will believe you with no context. Don't give them any understanding. No, go and instruct them. Teach them about the kingdom of God. We believe this is why we are called to do what we do every Sunday. We need to be reminded of the word week in and week out, right? I know I do. I need to be reminded every moment. I told you guys, I don't know about all of you, but I'm kind of a dumb sheep. I forget what the Lord did yesterday and start the panic in the new thing he's doing today. But how do I get back to remember that he's faithful? To reflect upon his word, to reflect upon his promises, to know what he did. And what that means is I can then teach you the things that the Lord has given us in his word. And you can do the same as you go forth. And see, this is the great commission of Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Not just to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but to teach them the things that Jesus has taught us. And see, they go out and they start teaching. I think it's funny because some people go, enough with the Bible studies, man. We get it. <laughs> no, you don't actually. I don't get it yet. <laughs> we got to continue and keep growing and continue day in and day out until we go to be glorified with the Lord, right? So we want to continue in this all the time. But see, Jesus is so wonderful. <laughs> Jesus is not a slave driver that says, now that I'm your Lord, I'm going to just, man, I'm going to lord it over you where you're never going to get a break. I don't care about you. No. He cares about his people. And what he said in verse 31, he said, come aside by ourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. <laughs> man, sometimes we can get in a rhythm where all we do is work. Remember Mary and Martha. <laughs> Sometimes we get in a spot where it's like, man, Lord, you showed me what to do and I have to do it. And if I stop doing it, I'm like, I don't know. I've known people that are like, man, if I stop serving the Lord, maybe I'm not even really saved. I have to keep working. You're like, man, that's a form of legalism. You think you're attaining some righteousness before God. You're responding to his righteousness when you serve his kingdom. And see what happens here. He says, you need to take rest. And we go, why is this so important? Can we remember? that they've been serving to the point where they haven't had time to eat. <laughs> Obviously, they, that, that's, that's saying generally speaking. They've eaten some food here and there. But it's the kind of hectic schedule where when you're about to sit down to a meal, someone comes up with another need. <laughs> I don't know, parents in here, you ever had that? <laughs> All my moms that, in here that drink iced coffee when they cook themselves hot coffee, right? It's because your kids are constantly like, okay, I'll get to my coffee eventually. Now I have iced coffee, okay. You're constantly having little people come to you and saying, I'm needy, I need things, right? <laughs> I tell you, this is ministering. This is the most beautiful form of ministering. When mothers, when fathers take care of their children and care for them in the home, we're serving those that cannot help themselves. And when we're called to serve the kingdom of God, there's a reality that, man, when people are needy, they need help, they'll come to you. And sometimes you have to selflessly die to yourself. You know who set the example? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> The theme verse of Mark, in my opinion, is Mark 10, 45. It says, For the Son of Man had, has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Does Jesus ever ask us to do something he didn't already do himself? <laughs> he says, I'm calling you to follow my example. And they go, and it says they're departing uh, to this deserted place so that they can go rest. <laughs> See, it's really awesome because the word for rest is anapowo. What this means is to recover. <laughs> Have you ever been so just physically, mentally worn out from serving the Lord? I've been there at times. 
And it's like, man, but I don't want to stop. There's a blessing in it. I want to continue, but I'm just worn out. The Lord says, you need to rest for a minute. <laughs> Why is this? Who set that example? God. <laughs> in Genesis, when God created the heavens and the earth, in what, seven days, what did He do on the last day? He rested. Does God need rest because He's tired? No. He set the example for us as we serve and do the things unto Him. Amen? Amen. In Exodus, I believe it's in Exodus 35-2, it prescribes that 6 to 1 ratio. In other words, this Sabbath day to rest so that you won't get so burned out physically and mentally, but you have to trust the Lord on that seventh day that you're not working. <laughs> I can tell you, when I moved out here in February of 2021... We were planning this church. We were planting it. We started, we got here on February 4th. We had our first service on Valentine's Day, the first day of Snowmageddon when all that happened. That was a great welcoming to Texas. And all of our friends that came to church that day were from California. They went back home and I'm like, what are we going to do now? We don't have anyone to like minister to. We've moved here. Everyone we're ministering to is online in California. I don't know why we moved here. That's kind of funny, but the Lord knows. Here we are. It's like, I don't really have a job. I need to go get a job. I'm working three jobs at one point, planning the schedules and doing studies and planning for Sunday and doing men's studies and all these things. And what quickly happened was, because I was so busy just trying to make things go, I was mentally and physically getting so burned out two, two to three months when we first got here. And it was kind of scary because it's like, no one's even here yet and I'm burned out. <laughs> Why is this? And I remember looking at Scripture and the Lord kept showing me, you're not taking a single day of rest. You think that you are the one doing this ministry. <laughs> you think that you're the one that provides for your family. Absolutely, I go and work because you don't work, you don't eat, it says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. I want my family to eat. I go to work. But do you know who gave me that job? The Lord. Do you know who called me to rest and trust in Him? The Lord. Now, I have to find that line. I don't want to go be lazy about this, but I don't want to be legalistic and I don't want to be exhausted. I want to be available to serve the Lord. And I'll tell you, the Lord taught me got to take that one day. Why is this? Because it's a picture of the rest even that we have in Jesus Christ, Hebrews tells us. Can I tell you, there's a rest that remains for those in Jesus Christ, right? Come into that. Come into that rest and say, spiritually, I don't have to work for righteousness. And all this stuff points to that. But in reality, in this case, these men are exhausted. And Jesus says, you know what? We need to go get some rest. We need to get recovered from doing ministry. The very thing you were created to do, you still need rest at times from these things. But it's interesting, in verse 33 it said, the multitude saw them departing. So I have a map. Let's see if I, I think I have a map. Thank you. So, yes, there we go. One of my famous maps that no one can read or see anything on here. But here we go. Uh, thank you, Google, for whatever this map is. So we have um, the Sea of Galilee. All this is happening around the Sea of Galilee here. This whole event, everything here. We believe they're starting in Capernaum, which is the black dot, kind of above the word sea there at the top, uh, northwestern side of Sea of Galilee. And they're going to head to a deserted place near Bethsaida up at top. So it's a wilderness of Bethsaida on that top side, over on the northeastern side. So the reason I'm telling you all this is just so you can get a visual picture of what's here. The people see them leaving in Capernaum, which is like Jesus' Galilean headquarters. And they can see them on this, on this lake, because the lake itself is only, I think, 13 miles by 8 miles. So as they go along the coast, they're like, hey, there's Jesus. 
There's these guys, they keep doing miracles, they keep healing people. Let's follow them where they're going. And it turns out, they actually walk and get there ahead of Jesus and his disciples who are supposed to be going to get rest. <laughs> I, I just think about that. I think so many times. <laughs> it's like, man, I have this planned rest. Imagine the apostles. I, we know Jesus' heart. Imagine the apostles here when they pull up to the shore for their sabbatical. <laughs> and what's waiting for them? <laughs> Ministry. A multitude of people. I mean, I'm not talking 100 people. We're going to find out. There's at least 5,000 men. That probably means there's also, also wives and children. There might be in the upwards of 20,000 people waiting for them when they arrive at the shore. That's like a sold-out sports arena, right? I used to use Staples Center in L.A. I don't know what the sports arenas are out here, right? I think it's like United Airlines Center, okay? So a sold-out United Airlines Center of people waiting for you. And you know what they're there for? They're not there to comfort you and give you something. They're waiting to receive they're standing there. They're waiting. We're told in John 6, 2, Luke 9, 11, Matthew 14, 14, they brought their sick and diseased and we're waiting for them to get off the boat. I don't know if you've ever said, man, I just need rest. Jesus, I need rest. And you're like, all right, here we go. I'm mentally prepared just to rest and then ministry opportunities. But I'll tell you, the Lord knows what he's doing. The Lord's going to show that he is able to give you so much more than you ever knew in your own strength. <laughs> He's able to give you so much more than you ever could have anticipated. He's so good to take care of everyone that needs to be taken care of. And I'll tell you today, if you're burned out, <laughs> Jesus has not forgotten you. <laughs> and Jesus is even going to use this season and give you opportunities to continue to glorify Him. I hope that's an encouragement because sometimes I feel like, man, if I'm burned out, I'm, use I'm just completely useless. I love that the Lord doesn't wait for us to be the strong enough. <laughs> he uses sometimes these inadequate vessels, <laughs> weak vessels, so that we can just put to shame the things that are mighty, the things that are strong. But He doesn't forget. He get, takes us to the point where He says, I know you need rest. I'm going to bring you to that. But here we are. He brings them here. And look what happens in 34 through 38. It says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But Jesus answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five loaves and two fish. <laughs> So here they are, they arrived to the shore, and I imagine, here's the apostles, they're like, oh dude, are you serious? There's thousands of people waiting for us. Thought we were going to get our alone time with Jesus here, and just me, 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 I thought we were going to get the rest. And then of course, I don't know, maybe I'm just wicked, they're probably looking at each other like, you know Jesus is going to help these people, right? Like they're probably all like, he's not going to move them away. And sure enough, what does Jesus do? It says in verse 34, when he saw them... I love this, what it says. He saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. Jesus called himself the good shepherd in John 10, 11. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
Don't think that only the apostles were tired. Remember, Jesus added humanity to his deity. Jesus has been constantly on the go, constantly. There's a reason these people are following him. They've seen him working. They've heard about him. Everywhere Jesus goes, we're going to see. People are always seeking him. But yet he says, not my life, but it's for yours. I'm going to give of all that I have to care for you. <laughs> he showed it in its most extreme form and fashion upon the cross. But he did this in everything that he had. The word here that says, moved with compassion. That phrase uses one word. It's splagizomai. That's a great word. And it means to be moved in one's bowels. The compassion of Jesus was just stirring in him so much. He said, if I don't do something about this, it's going to make me sick. This is how much I love these needy people. That should strike us, because guess who's all sick and needy before we come to Jesus Christ? <laughs> Every one of us. And we continue to need Jesus. We continue to need His Spirit. We continue to need His Word. And as a good shepherd, He provides them direction, guidance, nourishment, protection. We know this as His sheep, amen? The Lord Jesus says, this is my flock. I'm going to care for them. And with this compassion, he says, they're like sheep not having a shepherd. I think this is incredible because what he does, he says, I'm going to nourish them. Did you see what it says in, at the end of verse 34? It says, so he began to teach them many things. I thought they had sick people. I thought they were needing of healing. Why are you teaching them, Jesus? You see, this is Jesus' model all the time. Jesus isn't here just to heal the bum leg of the lame guy. Because if he doesn't change his heart, he's going to an eternal destruction. He says, I am going to teach you so that you may have faith in the truth of who I am and be saved for eternity. And I'm going to authenticate it by doing great things in your life. <laughs> Jesus is not a miracle worker first. He's a teacher. This is important because many people want to just make Jesus their buddy that heals them for anything, they, any wish list they bring to him. Don't get, let's not confuse this. They came to him saying, we want you to do X, Y, and Z, Jesus. You know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't give in to pleasing people. He said, I'm going to teach you what you need first. So many people just, they'll, they'll, they'll leave if they don't get their immediate prayers answered by the Lord. I want, I want this, I want that, I want this. The Lord Jesus, first and foremost, says, let me instruct you in the way of truth. And can I tell you, we need that. The good shepherd knows the very first thing you need is food sustenance for the spiritual matter. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And see, he comes in here and he says, I'm going to feed them. I'm going to give them what they need to guide them. Sheep without a shepherd will walk one after another off a cliff. <laughs> We do that spiritually speaking, even practically speaking at times. We get so messed up. And what we need to do is go, man, we need a shepherd, a good shepherd to guide us in truth. To feed us his word. To direct us. And see, it says in 35 that his disciples, they noticed, look at all day Jesus is teaching. That's, notice this verse. When the day was now far spent. Jesus didn't just say like one verse at them and be like, all right, cool, now I'll heal your things, now you're good. Jesus taught them, instructed them, didasco. He instructed them continually. And at the point where the disciples are getting a little concerned, they're like, dude, these people, if you just keep teaching them, Jesus, they have a real need, you know. Again, I've had people say, enough with the Bible studies. Don't you want to go out and just like clothe the homeless and feed, feed those that are hungry? We do those things too, by the way. 
But first and foremost, what good is it if I'm just clothing and feeding people but never leading them into the eternal truth of Jesus Christ? And see, his disciples go, man, this is becoming a problem. And it's interesting. They know that there's an issue at hand. They said, look, we're in a deserted place. We're out in a desert. He says, it's getting late. He says, send them away so that they can go get some food. Go buy themselves some bread. They have nothing to eat. I don't know if you've ever been in a spot in ministry where you're like, man, that sounds really tough. I hope you figured that out. Good luck. I don't know if you've ever been there. I feel like that's what the disciples are doing right now. They're like, oh, they have a problem, Jesus. We get it. Man, I feel real bad for them. They should go figure that out over there. And we've been there so many times. There's a real need here, and they, they do honestly go, man, they need some kind of help here. <laughs> But their solution was much like in Matthew 15, 23. Remember the Gentile woman that kept following Jesus. And she's saying, my daughter is demon-possessed. I need her to be healed. I believe you can heal her. Remember, Jesus is like kind of to some extent, it's almost like he's given her a hard time a little bit. Right? He's, he says, no, 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 no. I didn't come here for this. Right? And she says, even the crumbs that fall from the table. Right? Like, I'll take those. But that whole time, we're told in Matthew 15, 23, that the disciples were saying, send her away, for she cries out after. She's annoying, Jesus. Get her out of here. She's a Gentile. Who cares about these people? Jesus says, no, I'm going to heal her daughter. <laughs> She's persistent. She came humbly, and she desires my touch because she has faith in me. Jesus is so long-suffering and is so willing and has the ability to do all the things that he promises in his word. And the first and foremost is to save us from sin and death. And Jesus says, this is why I'm here. Amen? Amen. He says, I've come here for this thing. But they say, well, you know what? We're just focused on these physical things. Jesus, let's, let's send them out. I love verse 37. Remember, they came to get rest. What's Jesus tell them? He says, you give them something to eat. They're like, oh, man, we shouldn't have brought it up, Jesus. Have you ever been in a ministry where you're like, oops, I started a ministry because I went to the pastor and told him, hey, I think this thing should be happening. You're like, hey, welcome to the ministry. Here you go. Go do it. Right? This is it. You give them something to eat. That's a model I take from Jesus all the time. When someone says, I want to see this thing or that thing, and I, it's not in my power, time, strength, I'm like, hey, you go give them what they need. Right? Trusting that the Lord's going to do it. And in this case... They, 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 he tells them, give them something. And I love their response. It seems impossible. Jesus, do we have to remind you? We don't have enough to feed all these people. We're tired. We didn't bring enough to feed 20,000 people, give or take. We'll call it 5,000 for the sake of just counting the men today, okay? 5,000 men are here. We don't have enough to feed them. Do you understand how much money it would take, Jesus? I love that one. Have you ever been in that spot? Jesus, I can't serve you. You know how expensive it is to serve you? That's exhausting. I'm tired. Jesus, this will take 200 denarii. Let's put it in modern day terms roughly. Eight months of wages. Eight months of wages to give one meal. This sounds like a wedding, actually, right? Like you, you put all your money into that one-day event and you serve one meal, and you're like, man, that's kind of crazy. These guys are saying, even if we had the money, this is the, the, the feel we get in it. Even if we had the money, Jesus, I don't even know if that's a great idea. That'd be a lot of money to give people one, like, lame meal. We don't have enough to provide for everything they need. And see, this is crazy because he tells them, go and see how much bread we have on hand. Jesus doesn't immediately go, you know what, I'm just going to take care of this. He's working on the hearts of those that serve him, of his disciples. He's teaching his servants right here. <laughs> he says, hey, why don't you go and see what we have? 
And they, they go, they find out they have some bread and some fish. Not a lot. It actually tells us in John 9, or I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 9, that this belonged to a lad. This is a child's lunch they're using. <laughs> it's a Lunchable, right? They're like, hey, we got one Lunchable, the sardine and cracker Lunchable. We got that. And Jesus just tells them, go see what you have. And it's just funny. They come up and they're like, this is what we got. So we're out of, we're out of ideas now, Jesus. Let's keep going on. Let's send them away. You got to think that's the attitude at that point. We checked. We don't have enough in our own strength to provide for these people. It reminds me, Luke 137, it says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Should I go on a tangent? Let's go on a tangent. You guys want to come with me on a tangent? Okay, let's do it. I'm honestly, if this is your home church, praise the Lord, I am so blessed by you guys and the fact that you have been trusting the Lord from what I hear from our leadership team and just faithfulness unto his kingdom <laughs> in so many ways. And one of our big prayers right now is, Lord, this is cool. We love where we're at on Sunday mornings, but it's not ours. We want to be together all week. <laughs> we want to be together on midweeks and have our men's and women's study at the building. We want to have a building, Lord. But can I tell you what I tend to do? I look around and go, that's like impossible though. <laughs> We've only been in existence for like two years. It was in my living room like a year ago. Lord, what are we talking about here? This seems impossible that you would potentially give us land in a building. Or give us a place to rent all week. I don't know, but can we afford that? We don't know. And then the Lord hits us with things like this. Can I tell you how many testimonies I've heard over and over? Pastor Chuck, Raul Reese, Xavier Reese, my pastor at Pasadena, he talks about the way the Lord provided for them. They, there were times when they're like, this is just dangerous what we're doing, right? We're going to take a loan on this bill. Oh, this sounds crazy. And the Lord just provides. And see, you may not know that at a ministry level, but you know this in your own life. <laughs> You look at your bank statement and you're like, there's no way we're going to make it this month. And what happens? You died, right? <laughs> no! The Lord took care of you again! It continues as you were good stewards. Now, you didn't take the money and go, since the Lord's so good, I'm going to go buy myself a Lamborghini, right? He's got to honor that. That's not what we're talking about. Being a good steward with the things the Lord gives you. and says, look, it, it may not seem like a lot, but oh, in the hands of Jesus, according to the will of God, He'll do what He pleases to reveal Himself as Lord. And see, that's exactly what's going to happen in this section here. And I'll tell you, I think we see this practically and we miss it all the time because it's not fish and bread. It's bread, right? <laughs> it's money. It's finances. It's energy. It's direction. All the times we think, man, I, I don't have enough. I don't know how I'm going to get there. The Lord sustains us as the good shepherd as we seek his will. Amen? And I'm just telling you, we're actively living it as a church. <laughs> I know you're all actively living it as families in this church. Continue to pray for the Lord to provide. He's been providing. We're just so excited to see what the Lord's going to do because I think it's a testimony to say, man, we don't know how it wasn't our strength, it wasn't our wisdom, it wasn't our resources. It's the Lord's. And we're excited to see what He's going to do with that. So, end of tangent. Look at 39. It says, <laughs> Then He commanded them, to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. 
Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. So again, if we factor in wives and children, potentially 20,000 people at this scene, but that culture, they focused on men. So 5,000 people there. Let's just go conservative. 5,000 people here. But I love how Jesus starts this in verse 39. He tells them, hey, I want you guys to be involved with this. Here's what your job is to do. Your job is to bake the bread? No. Your job is to go fishing? No. <laughs> just get the people, put them together, get them together, go get them and sit them down in the green grass. I love this. Jesus says, I'm not looking for you to provide the resources. I'm just calling you to serve. Minister, knowing that I'm the provider, Jesus would say. Go out. Even though you guys know. i, I got to imagine. The rest of the multitude probably have no idea of this conversation happening behind the scenes. But the apostles are like, dude, we only have like a Lunchable to give to everyone. And he says, you know what? Just get everyone seated for a feast. <laughs> that takes like faith to even obey this command to go start telling people, hey, uh, let's get ready to eat. <laughs> let's sit down. We're all the hundreds and fifties. If there was just one group of hundred, that would be like there's not enough food for them. But they're putting them together in groups of 50 here, 100 here. They're getting it all together. And in faith, they're orderly organizing the people that the Lord is going to work. You see, 1 Corinthians 14.40 says, Let all things be done decently and in order. I love that. He's not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. And he says, you don't even know where this is going to come from, but I'm telling you to do some simple things right now. Go sit the people down. Go put them in the green grass. That reminds me of Psalm 23.2, right? The good shepherd who leads us into green pastures. He says, hey, sit these people down. I'm going to feed them. I'm the good shepherd. And see, as he's doing this, he tells them, I'm going to host. You just have to be telling these people, be prepared to receive. And in verse 41, we see how this meal is prepared. He looked up to heaven and blessed the provisions. The word for blessed is eulageo. This means to give praise. Let me tell you, Jesus is not giving praise to the bread, okay? He's giving praise to the Lord for the sustenance that he has here. To God the Father, he's saying, thank you for this stuff here. There's an old Jewish prayer of sorts that would pray something along the lines of, Lord, take the bread and multiply it. Some people said, I wonder if that's what Jesus prayed here. I don't know, but this says here, he's just praising the Father, it seems like. Thank you for what you've given us. <laughs> a lesson in gratitude a little bit, huh? <laughs> Thank you, Lord, that you've given us these five loaves and two fish. It must be enough if this is what you've given us. Lord, we trust that you're going to do as your will sees fit. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, I have a hard time praying that sometimes when there's very little. <laughs> I'm usually in panic mode. Lord, I need more, I need more, please give me more. Jesus is saying, hey, you've given us what we need, we trust you. And what he does here, <laughs> it says that he gave the bread out in verse 41. That word gave is in the imperfect tense in the Greek, and I think it helps us understand maybe a little bit of what's happening here. See, I remember being in college and I heard some Bible teacher teach and I don't think it's correct. I went to kind of a wacky Bible. Well, I wasn't in Bible college. I was a marketing guy going to a Christian college that had Bible classes, okay? And this person taught one time that, oh, I think what happened is that everyone just tasted a crumb and their belly just like exploded from just tasting a crumb. <laughs> that's not at all what's in here, dude. You're, you have a degree in this stuff? Like, that's insane, right? It says he gave and it's imperfect because in other words, he just kept giving from his hand. That's kind of neat the way I see it. Giving, 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 giving. They keep coming and he's just handing it out. <laughs> I don't know if you've been there, but it's like, that's not enough. But somehow it's lasting. <laughs> somehow as I come to Jesus and go, Lord, I need more. He's got more for me. 
And he always takes care of the practical things, the spiritual things. He has more in his hands. It's not that he gives you just like this magical little piece one time and it fills you forever. That's not biblical. You need to keep coming and getting the bread of life. Amen? You need to keep coming. The manna didn't fall one little crumb and fill them up for the rest of the time, the children of Israel. It fell and they had to go collect it. They had to go get it. Well, his apostles, I can only imagine, they're walking up and he's just handing it out to them. They're like, how is this working? It's incredible because he gave his disciples an opportunity to serve. Even though originally they're like, we don't even want to be involved with this. <laughs> Jesus is so good to allow us to participate <laughs> in spite of ourselves. This whole ministry is in spite of myself. <laughs> in spite of my doubt at times. In spite of my weaknesses. And you guys know that your marriages, your home life, all of it, it's in spite of you. It's because God is good. Amen? It's because as you submit to Him, man, He has a way of giving you what you need. And it's to His glory when you come through. <laughs> And it's always, he's the one providing. I think this is great because it does say that they were filled. It says, 42 is just a funny verse. This is how Mark or Peter, whoever's given the info here. It says, so they all ate and were filled, period. Dude, you can't give us more than that? Like, explain this to us. We want to know, like, right? Like, but it's so funny because that word filled in the Greek, this word is hartadzo. It means to be absolutely glutted. <laughs> like gluttony. You're fully satisfied. Like, man, I don't know about you guys, but if I go to some, like, barbecue buffet and I pay $19.95 to get in there, I am getting every penny of my $19.95, right? I am, if they're free ice cream, I'm making root beer floats. I'm doing all kinds of things to get my money out of that, right? In this case, I feel like these guys are like, dude, this is delicious. Keep feeding us. Look, we want more. They're just eating and eating. It's not like they got just enough. Oh, okay, well, I'm kind of satisfied. Have you ever been to a wedding like that? You eat the wedding food and then afterwards you drive through, like, Burger King or something and you're like, oh, dude, I'm so hungry, right? That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> you're satisfied. You just got a full-on buffet. This is awesome. I think it's great because Psalms 145, 15 through 16, it says of the Lord, the eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord Jesus is our satisfaction. <laughs> There is no other source, no other way that you will ever know the satisfaction you were created for outside of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is proving so much in this section here. As they're full and they're eating, they take up 12 basketfuls of leftover. How many apostles are there? 12. How many baskets are there? 12. Each one of them are like, oh man, we feel kind of dumb right now, huh? We didn't think you had enough. We got baskets full here. Each one of us, they're all looking at each other like, what are we supposed to do with all these leftovers, right? I've seen the Lord do this in ministry in so many ways before. I remember one of the very first ministry events I ever served at was in a youth group, and my job was to cut the pineapple for the students. That's, that's how much they trusted me at the time, and I don't blame them for that. And my job was to cut the pineapples, and I'm standing there, and I remember the kids coming up like, one after another, there's 40 kids at this thing. They're like, we love pineapple. I want a whole pineapple. And I'm like, dude, I have like three pineapples, right? And I just remember, look, I'm not saying we had 25 at the end. Don't think I'm going there. But somehow at the end of the night, I remember hanging out with some of the guys that were leadership, and we're snacking on pineapple. And I'm like, how? We only had three. And I'll tell you, we had a park picnic one time with sandwiches, ring sandwiches, delicious Italian sandwiches. And we ran out after our five. Someone's like, wait a minute, I uncovered another one. I have one over here. And I'm like, that's bizarre dude. They must have made 
a mistake. I ordered five. We now have six. I think they were just being nice at Claro's, the deli. They gave us an extra sandwich because they knew we were believers and one of the guys came to the church. But still, I don't want to limit that. Maybe the Lord's producing. Maybe he likes Italian food, too. I don't know. He's producing stuff. All I'm saying is I've never been in a ministry spot where I had to turn people away and say, oh, I'm sorry. We ran out. We ran out of what we planned for. I've never, ever had that happen. I'll tell you, it's not because we had some big old budget. <laughs> it's not because we were good planners. It's because the Lord sustains his people. And you might stand, hear that right now and be like, this guy is crazy. I'll tell you, when you see the Lord do things, it shakes you to the core and goes, man, this is true, all of it. It's not about the Lord producing ring sandwiches, God forbid. It's about, that means that all of his word that he said about eternity is true as well. He's authenticating that as we put into practice the things he's called us to do, he is the truth. When he said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, shall not come into death, but is passed from death into life, not come into judgment. That's true. If none of this other stuff panned out, we'd go, I don't know if I can believe the eternal stuff. But don't hear this as like some prosperity gospel. That, oh, don't worry, the Lord will just give you millions of dollars and all the food you ever need. Look, at the Lord gives you what you need, not what your greed is. <laughs> We always get our greeds confused with our needs. <laughs> the Lord always takes care of His people. Are we trusting in Him? And in these basic, simple things, what the Lord is doing is saying, I am who I say I am. Amen? See, I, have to, I think I have to share this. Exodus 16. If you remember, the people came to Moses. And they said, we need food. And remember, he goes to the Lord, and the Lord says, you know what? I'm going to give them manna. <laughs> And Moses goes and gives them manna. And the people for a time, I mean, they rejoice to some extent. They end up complaining and want quail too, right? They want some meat to go with the manna. And they complain again. But the Lord keeps giving things. And they're like, man, Moses, this is cool. Like Moses has a line to get food for us. I'll tell you what, when Jesus is here giving them so much food that there's leftover, they're like, this is different than Moses. He is greater than Moses. Deuteronomy 18 said that there was one coming that was greater than Moses. And what do you have to do? Receive his bread? No. Hear his word. He says, I'm going to give you my word, but the way I'm going to show you that this is truth, I'm going to give you the bread that you need. And Jesus called himself the bread of life in John 6.35. He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Are you hungry and thirsty spiritually today? You need Jesus Christ, the bread of life. He says, you come to me and you believe in me, as the scripture said, out of your heart will flow rivers, torrents of living water. The Holy Spirit is so good to give us exactly what we need to satisfy it, to fill us to the point of overflow that we look around and go, man, how is this possible? It's because the Lord is good. And see, he's just demonstrating it here. And I can give you all of my silly examples all day how the Lord has done this, but we see it in Scripture. Exodus 18, uh, 16, 35, he gave them the manna. In Elijah, I'm sorry, with Elijah, in 1 Kings 17, 6, the Lord gave him meat and bread, and it came from the mouth of ravens. <laughs> He's, I'm going to send birds with stuff for you to survive by the river. And when the river dried up, he sent them somewhere else and provided for them through that. And then here for 5,000 needy people, the Lord says, Oh, I'm going to give you what you need. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that, right? <laughs> if you're worn out today and say, Man, I'm not satisfied. In any form or fashion, you need to come back or return or put your trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? Look at the rescuing that occurs here. Look at 45 and 46. It says... 
Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. So I want to pause it there because there's two big things in here. Notice in verse 40, 45, it says that he made his disciples get into the boat. The word for made here is anakadzo. See, what this means, there's an urgency and he's compelling them by force to get in the boat to leave. We say, why is he doing this? Why would he make the disciples get in the boat and depart from the multitude? Well, we're told in the parallel account in John 6, verse 15, the people perceived that, man, Jesus is able to give us all kinds of food. Let's make him our king. <laughs> Let's, he does whatever we want, and he's, really, it's, he's comforting us in all these great ways. Let's make him our king and overthrow Rome. Can I tell you, that's not God's plan or model for Jesus' first coming there. <laughs> And what Jesus says, man, I can't have my disciples hear about this. Because, you know, one of them was a zealot for sure. He's probably like, yeah, dude, let's do that. That sounds good, right? Just like, dude, get out of here. Don't get influenced by the crowd. Get out of here. We can't have that. <laughs> but secondly, I think it's interesting here. He says, I'm going to put the crowd away. I'm going to send them off. I think that's great because Jesus says, look at I fed you. But look at now go with it. Go do this. Go tell everyone that the one greater than Moses is here and he has the word of life. Go. We all have a responsibility as the Lord has taken care of us through the power of his spirit and through all of his provision. And so it says, let me, let me show you the map here one more time. One more map moment here. Because it's kind of weird. It says in verse 45 that they went to the other side to Bethsaida. Now, if you remember, I told you in Luke 9, yes, Luke 9, verse 10, it says that the feeding happened in the wilderness or in the deserted place near Bethsaida. So it's like, well, wait a minute. If we're already there, how can we now go to there? And you know, people actually use that and go, see the whole scripture. It's, it's all wrong now. We can throw it all in the trash. First of all, if that's the verse that gets you to not believe, that's insane, right? That they can maybe potentially you think, oh, they, they called the same city twice. But here's the deal. It's kind of interesting. There's two ways we can see this. First of all, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark uses this term to often. It can be translated as towards. So go towards Bethsaida. Remember, they were in the deserted place, kind of on this side, on the eastern side of Bethsaida probably. And they were told, go ahead and go towards Bethsaida, but they're going to continue on past it. That's one theory. I kind of have a second theory that I'm, I think, it's not my theory, I've studied it and found it. They've actually discovered in recent archaeological digs that there were two cities with the same name. One was referred to through Scripture as Bethsaida of Galilee, and then you had Bethsaida over here. And they say, if you go through Scripture, I'll give you the Scripture, you can study this in your own time. It actually is John 12, 21, John 1, 44, Mark 1, 21, Mark 1.29, they all talk about this place called Bethsaida of Galilee, which seems to be very near Capernaum, which is down off the lake a little ways. So it seems like there's two cities or two locations with the same name. I don't think that's that crazy of an idea. I lived in California. We had two Claremonts within about 100 miles of each other. It was confusing when I moved here and told people I'm from Claremont. They're like, yeah, San Diego. I'm like, no, LA, right? It, they were all confused about that. <laughs> and here, this is the reality. Bethsaida, it means house of fish. There was tons of fishing happening everywhere around this place. So it's not unreasonable there'd be two places called this. The reason I bring this up, can you believe that this is actually one of the biggest points for people to say that's why we don't receive the gospel? Can I just tell you the wicked heart of man? <laughs> 
look into this and figure out, even secular archaeology is proving there's multiple cities with this name around this region. But we want to deny that. We want to take anything we can to say, I don't need to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Does that make sense? I bring this up so that you can do the research, and it's interesting. We're told in John 6.17, the parallel account, they got into the boat and went over the sea toward Capernaum. <laughs> So there's a Bethsaida, it seems, near Capernaum, just like archaeology is showing, just like those other scripture references are showing. And this may seem like a rabbit trail, but you have to know it because people will come and you have to be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks according to 1 Peter 3.15. We're equipping the saints this morning with this kind of information. If this seems like weird and crazy scholarly stuff, that's cool. Let's move on. Look at 47. <laughs> it says, Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were, and were troubled, thank you. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. Okay, so we're told in 46 again that Jesus went away, he sent them away, he sent the multitude away, and he went up to pray by himself. I think that's great. Jesus says, I'm not a people pleaser looking to have people around me all the time. I need to go be with the Father to be recovered, to be resourced through the power of the Spirit, continue guidance. He goes up there to pray. We're told, uh, we believe it's somewhere in the evening time between sunset and darkness is basically when the boat is sent out. And it says that Jesus was there and he was praying. And so they go out. <laughs> and man, they're about three or four miles into the midst of the Sea of Galilee, according to John 6, 19. And they're straining, they're rowing, Matthew 14, 24 says that this contrary wind came and started to toss them around with waves. So it doesn't seem there's rain, but that wind, we've talked about the Sea of Galilee, remember? I think it was 630 feet below sea level and this wind would rip down on it and it would just suddenly cause this storm. These guys are just straining. They're trying their best. Have you ever used a rowing machine at the gym? Right? I avoid that one. That's actually way too hard. I'm like, no, that's crazy, right? Rowing is exhausting. These guys are professional fishermen. And they're just straining. They're wearing out. They're getting tired. And it says, though, that Jesus saw them in verse, what was it, 48, I believe it is. Let me find it here. 48, thank you. He saw them straining. <laughs> I've been in so many spots before. I'm like, man, I am just trying to survive. Lord Jesus, where are you at? I'm getting exhausted. I'm getting worn out. And he sees them. I think this is so wonderful. It says that he saw them and he came to them at the fourth watch of the night. And we were like, what does that mean? In Roman terms, that's going to put it about 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. He probably came at the top of that at 3 a.m. And it's the darkest time. It's the darkest moment of the whole storm. They're thinking, man, how are we going to survive? It's just a dire situation. And I love it. Jesus saw them. Jesus was praying beginning at evening. He's been praying till three in the morning. If all of us need to talk about our prayer life, man, Jesus sets a bar, right? Jesus, the perfect son of God, needed to pray that much. I got to step my game up, I think, right? And he says, I see them, but I'm going to come at the right time to reveal my glory to them. He didn't come immediately at the evening when the storm started. He let them strain out there for a little bit. 
we're like, man, that sounds kind of almost like, like wicked. But man, Jesus is allowing them to endure this season so that he can come and reveal himself for who he is. You might be in a storm right now where you're like, man, I'm just trying to row. <laughs> I got such a contrary wind, I can't make any progress. I'm trying my hardest. Jesus sees you and he will reveal who he is as you trust in him. <laughs> what I love here, they aren't even expecting Jesus to come do anything here. Did you see what happened here in this section? Jesus came walking on the sea. It says that he might pass them by. I think that's funny. <laughs> Pastor Chuck said this. Pastor Chuck was like, you ever wonder if Jesus had a sense of humor? Maybe this moment he's like, hey, what's up, guys? Like he's going to walk by them and just ignore them as they're like rowing. I thought that was very funny, right? That's, I believe more of what this is talking about. If you remember in Exodus 33, verse 18 through 23, Moses asked the Lord God to show him his glory. And he said, I'll pass you by. You had to go on the cleft of the rock. Elijah, when he, the glory of the Lord came, it wasn't in the earthquake, it wasn't in the fire, it was that still small voice that says, I'm going to pass by you. And here's Jesus, he says, man, I'm going to be right here and not only pass by, but I'm going to get right in the boat with you now. You see, Jesus comes, he's walking on the water. This is insane, by the way. Think about it. Water, I, I can't do this justice, okay? Just bear with me here. Just these waves are crashing everywhere. These men are strained. And here comes Jesus. And they're like, clearly, this is a ghost, phantasma in the Greek. They said, this is a, some kind of spirit. And they're, they're troubled by it. Which means they're probably, they're afraid. They're probably thinking, man, this is it. We're going to die in this storm. This thing walking on the water is going to kill us now. When you get in storms, you start to think unrationally. <laughs> The first thing the enemy tries to do is tell you everything that you knew, it's not true. You need to start thinking the worst of everything. We get ourselves so frightened in the storm. This is where I die. This is a ghost coming to kill me on this water in this storm. <laughs> and I love it. Jesus knows what they're thinking, what he has to say to them, right? He says, be of good cheer. Take courage. It is I, the great I am. <laughs> Don't be afraid. I am here. I'm coming to you. I'm showing you. I am able to walk on this water. Job 9.8. It says that God alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. See, they may have read that verse. They've seen Jesus calm storms before. Remember in Mark 4? But here's Jesus. And they're like, it's a ghost. We're going to die. <laughs> I can relate to the disciples in so many ways. <laughs> doesn't matter if Jesus just multiplied bread. I'm going to die now. <laughs> this is a storm. It's hard. Jesus, this is it. This is it. And you, you see me, you don't care or something maybe. No, Jesus saw them. He says, I'm going to go reveal to them exactly who I am. We're told in Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. And see, when Jesus got in the boat... <laughs> The whole thing calmed. <laughs> Everything ceased. He got it. It's funny. Remember, we've talked about Mark probably transcribing Peter's testimony of things. Did you notice what's absent from this story? Peter trying to walk on water and starting to drown, right? He's probably heard that story enough. He's like, dude, we don't need to include that in my account, okay? You, John and Matthew and Mark, those guys can talk about it if they want to. I think for two reasons. First of all, maybe it would make Peter look really faithful for the fact that, man, you stepped out on water. And he's like, dude, I don't want any glory in that. Or maybe secondly, he's kind of embarrassed. He's like, dude, I stepped for a minute, but then I started to sink and Jesus had to save me again. But it's kind of interesting. That's not in here. And some people go, that might be why this is actually Mark's account or Peter's account being written through Mark. Because Peter doesn't want to talk about that anymore. <laughs> he doesn't want to talk about himself. I, I think that's pretty cool. But in this case, 
they start in Matthew 14, 33, it says they cried out, Truly you are the Son of God. Do you remember what they said back when Mark 4, when Jesus calmed the waves? They said, who else can do this but God alone? Who can calm the waves like this? Two chapters ago, they're like, he's the Lord. We fear him with reverence. And now two chapters later, like we're all going to die on this ocean. This is so us. <laughs> Lord, I know you saved me yesterday, but today I'm going to die at the hand of this wicked spirit that's coming to destroy me. Jesus is like, dude, it's me. <laughs> Are you serious right now? You don't even see. You're my guys. <laughs> I've been watching you and I'm coming to rescue you. I'm coming to save you. And it says in verse 52, this verse was on my heart all week and I was kind of wrestling with it. It says, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. That terrifies me to read that verse. I've told you some silly little examples that I think maybe the Lord did something. Even then, I'm like, man, I sound kind of crazy even saying that. These guys watched Jesus multiply bread and they somehow missed the fact that he was capable of saving them from the ocean, from the storms. It's just because their heart was hardened. We hear that term, we think, oh, that's for unbelievers, Right? Let me tell you, this word hardened here is parao. It means to lose the power of understanding. You see, Proverbs 4.23 tells us, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. We have to be diligent, hard-working people that say, man, I'm going to commit to remembering the faithfulness of the Lord today, the promises of the Lord today, because I can forget what the Lord just did yesterday. I may miss the thing before my very eyes that he was proving that he is that prophet greater than Moses, that he is the Son of God, that he will provide for everything. But when I get in a storm, I forget. I don't even remember or comprehend any of these things. And it shows us we need to continue to grow in the Lord every day. Man, it is scary when we get away from the Word of God. We start to think that we're going to die. <laughs> but Jesus says, look it. You put your trust in me. You have escaped death. You've escaped judgment. And see, the Lord is so good to take care of His people. Last three verses here. Look at 53 to 56. It says, When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized Him, ran through that whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard He was. Wherever He entered, into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged Him that they might just touch the hem of His garment. And as many as touched Him were made well. <laughs> Jesus constantly, selflessly giving to everyone who humbly comes and seeks Him. <laughs> It says that wherever he went, they anchor at Gennesaret, which again, uh, on the map, if we have it, down at the bottom of the Lake of, of Galilee is Gennesaret, or not towards the bottom, but uh, below Capernaum. So if they were headed towards Capernaum, they wound up at Gennesaret. Some people say maybe the storm blew them out of place. I don't know. Whatever it is, they wind up at Gennesaret. So again, they weren't headed towards Bethsaida, it seems like they're coming away from there. And at Gennesaret, when they get there, there's people everywhere. Man, when you get into ministry, can I tell you one of the first things you have to learn is selfishness has to go out the door. Jesus was never selfish. <laughs> Jesus was perfectly selfless. Philippians 2.3 tells us, let each one of us esteem others better than ourselves. We're told in Hebrews 10.24 to stir up love and good works, right? We're here to care about each other. And when I care about serving you and you care about serving me, we're going to have this great competition of trying to outserve each other because we love one another. Amen? 
Jesus set the example. Jesus says, I'm not above this. I'm going to come and do this. And when they get there, the whole region, they come running to him. We say, how do they know about him? We have to, it says here that some came and they wanted to touch the hem of his garment. <laughs> Remember what happened a chapter ago. That lady said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And he healed her. But he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Amen? The garment is just a garment. But when you have your faith in Jesus Christ, he is able to heal. And he said, I'm not turning away anyone. Though we've been out, though we've been in a storm, though we've been through all these things, anyone who comes to me humbly seeking my healing, I will give it to them as they come to me in faith. <laughs> And see, this is incredible because it says they were made well, as many as touched him. It wasn't that some that had faith in Jesus were made well, as many as came to him and touched him. Man, have you come to Jesus and sought healing spiritually yet? Because I'll tell you, this word for healing here, for, or I'm sorry, for made well, last thing we're talking about, the word for made well is this word sozo in the Greek. Sozo does not talk about just like a physical healing. This goes beyond that. This talks about being rescued from destruction. Again, Jesus is not here to impress people by healing their bum legs or to heal a blind. He did those things. Isaiah 35, 5-6 said that the Messiah would do such things. But he taught them, you have to believe in me for the forgiveness of sins. You must repent from the things you're trusting in and believe in me, Jesus would say. Today... You need healing if you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ. You may be able-bodied. You may be perfectly fine physically in your own opinion. <laughs> but spiritually, you need to be saved and rescued by Jesus Christ. And all of us in the room that have put our trust in the Lord Jesus, we say amen. Because <laughs> we know that, man, we were sinners. We needed to be saved. And sozo, that word, can I tell you, Acts 4.12 uses this word. This is the last verse of the day. It says, Nor is there any salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Sozo. This isn't about physical healing now. This is about spiritual healing. You need to put your trust in Jesus Christ. He went to a cross. He died for you. He loves you, but He rose again to prove that everything He said is true. Amen? Man, Incredible section of scripture. <laughs> Jesus is walking on water and feeding people. <laughs> and we sometimes see it as like, oh man, what a cool event. Jesus was proving who he is. And he does it day in and day out. Are we seeing it? Are we perceiving it? If you're in the word and you're seeking him, you're going to see the Lord move mightily in your life day by day. Amen? Why don't you guys stand with me? We're coming for the Lord.